All right, so hang on, let me just brush my hair real quick. Sure. So naughty. Ow, 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 ow. Tell me you know I've been recording this whole time. Yeah, I'm always recording, Colleen. You know this. Why? You know this. I won't use any yeah, of this. That... Yeah, sure you won't. Um, <laughs> just like last time you... I don't know what you even got me doing last time. I think you were, imagine. you were chopping something. You were chopping yeah, your rainbow like, carrots, I think. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was so funny. Like, That's so annoying. She wasn't here, so I I added that oh, whole thing that's myself. Why she, yep. That's why I got <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Welcome to Secondhand Stories. I'm your host, Jim Zabo. I'm your co-host, Colleen Stewart. So you were just saying this is a pretty sad story. Yeah, I was, because that's honestly, if I had to say one thing about the story, is uh, it's just pretty sad. Yeah. Any story about kids, like, I mean, they aren't, like, abused, but any story about, like, kids in, like, in unhealthy and, like, ter- bad situation, like, makes me sad. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that it's just about back to school time, and I'm sure a lot of parents are feeling exasperated by their kids and are ready for the <laughs> send them back. But also, I bet there's some kids who maybe didn't have uh, the best summer vacations or didn't have them at all and True. maybe want some time away from their parents. So they might be ready to go back to school. Um, mm-hmm. And Samantha Melvin is going to tell us a story, something like that, um, called Reassembly Required. The egg came in a box. It had eight pieces of wood that were carved into interlocking curved shapes. There was a centerpiece also made of wood, that held the rest of the pieces in place. Elle had seen something like it before. One of her classmates in Mrs. Williams's fifth grade class brought it. He had disassembled the egg and reassembled it with such familiarity that Elle suspected he could do it with his eyes closed. As she stood in the game store of the Kissimmee Mall, Elle knew she wanted it. She wanted to come back from their family vacation with something. She didn't want the other kids back in Jacksonville to laugh at her again. She stepped up to the box and picked it up from its place on the shelf, weighing it in her hands, turning the box over to see the price. Fourteen ninety nine, she read and dug her pink wallet out of her back pocket. Did she have enough? She unzipped her wallet with her teeth. Pooh head, don't do that, her mother said from behind. Elle pulled the wallet away from her mouth and adjusted her posture without even registering that she had been slouching. Her mother stood next to her now holding a board game with three rats on the box. Bad for your teeth. You want teeth like your Lola's? Yes, Mom, Elle said. She then pressed her tongue to the bottom of her two front teeth and thumbed through her wallet and counted the bills. A five, a ten, seven singles, and some coins. This was her remaining bit of cash, relatively untouched for occasions like these. Elle wedged her wallet in her armpit and held the box stake high in the air for her mother to see, hoping that her father was close by to jump in with his approval. I have enough, can I buy it? Her mother's lips pinched into a frown as she scrutinized the box. She placed the board game she was holding in her arms back on the shelf and took the egg away from Elle. Can you play it with your little brother? No, Elle thought. Ryan couldn't play it with her. It was a puzzle, an egg-shaped puzzle. The seven-year-old already struggled with the 50-piece puzzle her father bought him the month before. 
and he had pouted in the kitchen when Elle put together five pieces that created a rabbit's head. She knew what this meant to her mother. I don't know, was all Elle could say. Ah. It was her mother's short, nasally response that signaled the end of discussion. Before her mother could place it back on the shelf, her father appeared with Ryan at his hip and plucked it from her chicken bone fingers. He said, almost nonchalant, What's this? Something she can't share, Wayne, she said. So? he said. Elle looked up at her father, smiling. Her mother always wanted Elle and Ryan to share, telling them that they didn't have enough money for too many toys. She watched her mother put a hand on her hip and suck her two front teeth. An unbearable heat welled up in Elle's cheeks. Her relief evaporated. She shouldn't have even asked about the puzzle. She should have chosen a board game. So, her mother said, drawing the vowel out longer than necessary, she can't have it. Next to her father, Ryan smirked, poking his head around to make sure Elle could see him. His cheeks were shiny from his most recent public meltdown when Elle had refused to go into the game store with him in the first place, and her mother had knelt in front of her, pinched her stomach, and twisted, and said that they were all going. Ryan's smirk dropped from his face when her father said, She doesn't have to share everything, Nita. We're not living in a hut like you did in the Philippines. Her mother's face blushed. I did not live in a hut. But what about me? Ryan said. He yanked at her father's polo shirt. Not now, Ryan. Her father shifted away from Ryan, but the boy still clung to the hem of his shirt. Look, that's not the point. Elle can afford to buy herself a gift. Her mother puffed her chest out, posturing like a seagull. Her veiny hand reached for the box. Her voice shook like it would before she started crying and before they argued in the middle of the night when they thought Elle and Ryan were sleeping. I gave her the money. I can tell her how to spend it. I know, her father relented, but he didn't give up the box. His large hand tightened around it. When he spoke again, his voice was a rope, fraying from the excessive continuous pressure of her mother. But she doesn't have to share everything, remember? All around her, Elle could feel the stares of the other families in the store. She wanted to shrink smaller than Ryan, shrink to the size of a small baby so that her mother would be distracted and loving and wouldn't care if things were completely fair. She wanted to shrink to the size of an atom, undetectable yet still present, important despite being unseen. Then she wouldn't imagine the families herding together with their items and huddling in front of the cashier. She wouldn't imagine the mothers and fathers glancing back at Elle's family a few times, noting Ryan's tear-stained cheeks, and then grabbing their kids' hands and pulling them to the food court for ice cream and soft pretzels. She wouldn't imagine all the kids, most of them donning theme park t-shirts and hats, straining their necks to watch and see if Elle's mother would start screaming in the center aisle. They would smirk at how no one in her family wore any theme park shirts, even though there were three such parks in the area. Fine her mother said. Don't ask for another one when you can't put it back together. The families evaporated from Elle's consciousness. The egg waited in front of her in her father's offering hand. Her father always knew how to make her mother understand. That's when it made her parents such a good pair. Elle took it and rushed to the cashier, watching the teenager run the box along the scanner and mutter the total. She could hear her murmurs between her parents. Things would be okay. Behind her, Ryan stood on his toes to see what Elle bought frowning. It's a dumb puzzle, he said. Yeah, Elle said. She held her chin high, defiant, but he wasn't talking to her. Mama, he said. 
Elle squeezed her eyes shut. What about me? Can I have something? We're getting a board game, her mother said. But Elle is getting something. Stop, Elle thought. Mom is gonna get mad. She gets what she wants. I want something too. She always gets what she wants. Please, can I get something too? Tamanayan, enough, her mother said. Elle heard a board game drop to the floor, the clattering of plastic pieces inside of the box, and then a muffled spank. The cashier buried his bearded chin into his chest, counted the change, bagged the egg, and shoved a receipt to Elle. She couldn't move. Her cheeks burned in embarrassment. Why couldn't Ryan just remember to shut up? Her mother's voice rose over Ryan's whimpering. Did you bring your money? You forget it? Nita, stop it, she heard her father say. It was happening again. It was happening more often now. Her mother couldn't go more than a day without lashing out at one of them. Elle clutched the egg to her chest and stared at the glass countertop. She feigned interest in a small bird figurine. Its wings spread fully, its neck and curved beak extending to the countertop. She pointed and whispered, How much is that? That your fault and your fault that Elle's buying this. Another muffled spank. The cashier was shaking his head. Don't break her things. Where she expected another muffled spank was instead her mother snapping at her father to let her go and the soles of her mother's sneakers squeaking on the vinyl floor as her father, no doubt, dragged her away to the corridor of the mall. Elle turned to Ryan. He had sunk to the floor of the store, rubbing his fingers in his eyes. She shook her head. He had been doing so well before today. Not a peep about fairness. No complaints about how hungry or bored he was every thirty minutes of the eight-hour drive. But seven-year-olds couldn't handle not complaining that long. They couldn't handle being quiet, the number one thing her mother now valued over everything else. Elle walked over to him and lifted him up by the armpits, overhearing her mother's shaking voice say something about banana spiders and being frugal and wants and needs. Ryan kept digging into his eyes as he stood, and Elle wiped dust and dirt off his clothes. She inhaled, thinking of something comforting to say, but she couldn't think of anything. Not over the sound of car keys being dropped on the floor of the mall, or over her mother calling her father a tonga in public. Most definitely not over the muttering of the other people around them, or over the snapping of the cashier, telling them that they were holding up the line. Elle wanted to rip her eyes, but that was what Ryan did, and their mother hated it so much when he did. She wanted people to not stare at them because her mother was mad at Ryan, and she didn't have the same level of patience that her father did. Her mother just wanted Ryan to be a good boy. Why couldn't Ryan be a good boy? Elle rubbed her knuckle at the corner of her eye. This was all Ryan's fault. He kept breaking the house rules. He should have known by now that their mother wouldn't tolerate him crying in the middle of a store. Elle pushed Ryan to their father, a frown creasing her face. Her father smiled like he did whenever Elle found him sleeping on the couch most mornings. He said, Your mom's getting in the car. His smile faltered for a second, and he added, She's okay, as if it answered all of her questions. Even if Elle wanted to ask questions, her father didn't give her a chance. He said the words, ice cream, and Ryan dropped his fingers from his eyes, following her father like a begging puppy. Elle grabbed Ryan's arms and yanked him back. She only said, This is all your fault, and took his hand before he could touch his watery eyes again. She hoped Ryan would really hear her and learn to be more careful. She squeezed his hand in an attempt to be comforting and guided him after their father. 
Her little brother wasn't stupid. He was just the last to pick up on the rules of the game, while her father always seemed to have them stored away in the back of his mind, organized in binders and dividers for ease of access. It wasn't his fault, Elle kept telling herself. She wanted to believe this. Ryan was just a kid. It was around his age that Elle got the gist of the game, too, even if she struggled with the rules. The rules were as follows. Number one. Do not wear your shoes in the house. Established 1985. Marriage. Number two. If you find a banana spider, kill it. If you find two banana spiders, make a ring around them and make them battle to the death. Remember to tell mom if you bet at all, banana spiders. Established 1956. Year of mom's birth. 3. Always share. Established 1996. Ryan's first birthday. Number 4. Do not shriek unless mom seems okay with it. Established 1999. Unknown. 5. Do not disagree with mom. Established 1999. Unknown. Number six, do not spend money on yourself unless it's your money. Established 1999, unknown. And number seven, do not spend your own money unless mom says it's okay. Established 1999, unknown. The rules, one by one, accumulated with every year since Elle could remember, and she wasn't sure if there were still more rules that she would have to learn as she got older. This is why she hated the war games her parents and grandparents bought. There were too many rules to read, and then there were always more rules she needed to know so she wouldn't upset her family. Poor game etiquette was what her parents and grandparents called it. It was the same with fighting banana spiders, or any kind of spider in the backyard. The rules never made it fun for Elle, but she followed them. She honestly just wanted to leave the spiders alone, but it was one of the few things her mother talked about, her lips curling into a nostalgic smile when Elle asked about her life in the Philippines. That, and the sprawling acacia tree. Her mother's parents would put her, screaming in the throes of a tantrum, in a burlap sack and hang her on a low tree branch behind their home overnight. Elle's father never liked that story. Elle believed that he was happy her parents never visited from the Philippines. But whenever she completed any puzzle, she felt like she had fixed something, made something right again. At least with puzzles, she wouldn't have a dead spider at the corner of the makeshift ring and the neighbors peeking over the fence because Ellen Ryan's hooting and hollering broke some unspoken rule that they shouldn't be going on like that during the day. No one was at fault with a puzzle unless the person putting the puzzle back together couldn't do it. Ryan's hands were sticky from the ice cream, but Ella didn't let go of him when they left the mall. Neither did their father. Now, as they approached the parking lot under the central Florida heat, and as the wailing of a car alarm became prominent to the three of them, her father yanked his hand away from them. Elle recognized the alarm. It sounded like their car alarm when her mother lost the car at the supermarket parking lot. Lately, her mother had been using it more frequently. Elle's face reddened in anticipation, imagining her confused mother wandering the parking lot with the car keys in hand, pressing the button over and over again. Her father took wide steps, leaving both Elle and Ryan behind. He was probably rushing to her rescue again, Elle thought, but there she stood, her mother, leaning against their parked, wailing red car at the curb. Her mother beamed at them, like the car was sitting silently and brushed past her father, gathering Ryan up and embracing him. She used her thumb to rub his cheeks, kissing them. People on the sidewalk stared at them, 
They murmured about the car alarm, complained about the owners letting it go for so long. Elle blushed. And when she saw a police officer approach the people, when they pointed at her mother, like they always seemed to do, Elle's sternum ached. What did you do? Her father asked over the alarm. She watched as her mother held Ryan like a sack of potatoes. She let him drop to his feet. I did nothing. Her mother crossed her arms. Red paint chips speckled her white shirt like glitter. Ryan clung to her shirt, placing his cheek against her belly. Give me the keys, her father said. Her arms like a rag doll's. Her mother handed her father the keys. The car alarm stopped. It echoed through the parking lot. Elle knew her father didn't believe her mother. He shook his head, but remained silent as the police officer approached and asked to have a word with them. Her father nodded, pulled Ryan away from her mother, and walked Elle and Ryan around the front of the car to the driver's side. Elle stopped and stared at the large white scratch marks on the driver's door, her father's door. They were long and jagged. Stab marks dented the space around the door handle. In the car, her father said. His voice was even. Elle opened the back seat door and scooted in. Her father placed Ryan in his booster seat and snapped Ryan's seatbelt on. The entire time, he shook his head. You kids be good, okay? They nodded. Good, he said. And he closed the back seat door, stepped to the police officer, and then returned to the car after a moment to dig into the glove compartment, taking some cards out and sighing. What are those? Ryan asked. Elle locked eyes with her father, hoping that she looked like she wanted to know too, except that she was following the rules, silent when mom and dad were busy. Her father flashed the cards, though they meant nothing to Elle. He smiled at them and said, just some paperwork. He shut the door again. Elle peered out the window and saw the police officer examining her mother's clothes. She saw her father give the keys to the police officer. He continued examining, buffing at the keys with his open palm. Flecks of dry paint flew into the air when he did this. Elle had to look away. What's he want? Ryan asked. There was a muffled sob. Elle blocked Ryan's view of the window. It was difficult with him sitting in the booster seat, but she did. She said, He's just checking on Mom. Remember how Mom meets the lady every week at the Blue Building? Oh, he said. She should have been showing him what was going on. That their mother needed to cry, too. That it wasn't just Ryan spilling milk on the countertop or Ryan falling and scraping his knee. Their mother was a tub full of water, just below overflowing. Ryan was the leaky faucet. Still, the sight of her mother in public with people gaping at her as she looked around, confused and disoriented, unnerved Elle. She couldn't stand it. Every time something like this happened, Elle couldn't breathe. She imagined, in the back of her mind, her hand beginning her own set of rules for survival. Rule number one. Don't let Ryan see Mom cry. But she scratched it out. Elle took her bag with the egg in it and folded her hands on top of it. She stared at the backseat of the car, listening to her father's voice roll out apologies and lying about how the scratch marks were already there and how the car alarm was always going off at random. She heard him say with a nervous laugh, That's always been there. And the police officer joking in response, Must have gotten it for cheap then, eh? There was a pause, and Elle briefly saw the police officer give her a friendly wave. This seems normal for them, the police officer said. They're just quiet kids, her father replied. Elle squeezed her eyes shut and imagined the weight of the egg in her hand once she opened the box in the hotel room. She imagined Ryan struggling to play with his old jacks on the carpet. Soon, she thought.
Do we need to call someone for Mama? No, Dad's taking care of her. Elster and Magd again. You want to play jacks later? I lost some of the pieces. A pause, more sobbing, and Elle couldn't bear it. She opened her bag and stared at the box. Can I see it now? Ryan whispered, but her mother entered the passenger side of the car before Elle could say yes. Put it away, I don't want to see it, her mother said, wiping her eyes with her fingers. She took special care with her long fingernails. But, Mama, Ryan started. Elle shushed him and put the bag between her feet. She turned to see her father shaking the police officer's hand and walking around to the front of the car. He got in and started the car, shifting it into gear. I'm sorry, her mother said, placing a hand on his. Kids, what do you want to eat? He waved her hand away and Brian said pizza. There were times when Elle's parents spent hours with Elle and Ryan on the board game, parents against the kids. Her parents sat hand in hand when they played, and her mother would take their piece and, with a dainty gesture, tap it along the path of the board. But she couldn't laugh when Elle or Ryan forgot the rules. They forgot enough that she made copies of every set of the rules for every game they had, one for each child, especially highlighted for the rules they broke often. You break the rules, you're stealing. The times they played together had become fewer, and her parents only held hands in the car, a routine probably started long before Elle and Ryan were around. Two medium-sized boxes of pizza sat on the floor. Elle loved all the toppings. Ryan just liked the sauce. It kept them from tasting the cheap cardboard crust. The entire family was on the floor, Ryan sitting between their mother's legs. He peeled the cheese off the pizza, sliced in his hands, and dropped it inside the box. He slurped the sauce. Her parents weren't talking. They had nowhere to talk. Usually, they went to their bedroom for that. Tonight would be quiet. No one would hear them argue. No one would hear her mother shriek and cry. There was no chance of Ryan badgering Elle with stupid questions about why Mama was crying and why Daddy was sleeping on the couch. Relief washed over Elle. She stuffed a slice of supreme pizza in her mouth and chewed, relishing the silence, till Ryan crawled away from her mother and dropped the remaining crust from his pizza into the box. What are we doing tomorrow? Ryan said. He wiped his hands on his shorts. Elle passed him a napkin, and he wiped his hands dutifully. She did the same. Ask Daddy, her mother said. She bit into her slice. Ryan looked at her father, tilting his head to the side. They aren't going to start arguing here, Elle told herself. But she felt her appetite leave her, and she wanted to gather Ryan into a hug and tell her brother that he just didn't know any better. Her father dropped his pizza crust into the box and cleared his throat. He gazed at both Elle and Ryan. We're going home for Mom. Why for Mama? Elle felt her fingers reach toward her eyes, bleary from her frustration with Ryan. She stopped and sat on her hands. A silence blanketed the family for a moment. No words from Ryan. Elle believed that he finally understood when he needed to be quiet because he was sucking on his bottom lip. Her mother sat, fingers digging into her food. She said, Leave. Hall. Elle. Ryan. Take your toys. Elle's legs cramped under her, but she stretched them out cautiously. She jumped when her mother yelled, Pronto! Elle quickly grabbed Ryan's hands, her bag containing the egg, and Ryan's bag of jacks. Ryan protested, but Elle shoved him out the door of the hotel room. They sat across the hotel room in the hall. Her eyes stung, her cheeks burned. What happened? Why are we leaving? Shut up, Ryan. Why can't you ever just shut up? Elle said. She tossed his jacks on the floor. Some of the jacks disappeared into the carpet, camouflaged. Sighing, she opened her bag. 
At least he didn't start asking more questions in front of their parents. She took his hand and pushed it to the jacks when he didn't move. She said, play. Ryan did just as he was told. She pulled the box from her bag and opened it. The egg, polished and perfect, reflected the fluorescent lights of the hallway. Elle held the egg in both hands, her thumbs running along each of its wooden segments. Ryan sat next to her, ignoring his jacks again. He stared back toward their hotel room. He barely understood. It was best not to know, to do exactly what their parents told him to do. He had to learn sometime to stop asking so many questions. He had to learn to stop crying so much. Elle thought back to his sniffles in the car ride back to the hotel, his sticky hands from their ice cream their father had bought them. She thought about how Ryan would say that their mother's nose looked like a monkey's, which would cause her to cry in the bathroom for an hour until she came out to say that he was a bad son. How their father told Elle to take her brother so he could talk with their mother. Ryan kept pushing her. He always pushed her. He had ruined everything. He finally learned something, but he still ruined everything. Not once during the trip were they kicked out of the hotel room so their parents could talk. What do you think they're talking about? Ryan said. Elle found the center block of the puzzle, a long wooden piece that reached across the short side of the egg. He was still so clueless. She tapped her index finger on one end. She imagined Ryan's face there, and she tapped harder when she heard her parents' muffled voices elevate in volume. She said, about how you didn't clean your room before we left? They're going to send you away. Mama's really upset. That's why we're going home. Her brother gaped, his cheeks pink. No, they're not. Don't ask if you're not going to believe me, stupid. Elle pushed at the center block, listening for her mother's inevitable whimper in the long silence that was so common with her father now. Sorry said Ryan. Elle grunted. Can I play too? No. They sat in silence. Elle could hear her father, the words irresponsible, incapable, and safety repeating over and over again. She shook her head, feeling the sting in her eyes again. She rubbed her eyes before returning to the egg. She pressed at the center block, catching her mother's pleading in the background. Her father was threatening to send her away, like the last time they talked this way back home. Stop it, Ryan said. He crawled closer to the L and reached. His chubby fingers brushed against the shell of the egg. You'll break it. That's the point. I can put it back together. The center block was pushed in about half an inch. Elle leaned away for him, balancing the egg in one hand. No, you can't. Again, Ryan reached, nearly on top of Elle's lap. You can't fix it if it's broken. She pushed Ryan back. Stop, she said. She turned her back to him and pushed the block another half inch. One end of the egg loosened in her grasp. Yes, I can. I can fix it. Ryan crawled around again and said, Gimme it. No, Elle said. I said gimme. Ryan slapped the egg out of Elle's hands, and the egg fell and hit the hallway floor. It crashed, and the wooden pieces scattered with the jacks. The blocks rolled across the floor past Ryan's knees down the hallway. Only the centerpiece remained in Elle's hand. It was heavy on its own. Ryan's eyes were wide and teary. He shook his head and said, his voice barely a whisper, I'm sorry, I broke it. The hotel room door swung open and slammed. Elle's father leaned against the door, his bag slung over his shoulder, his face buried in his hand. He looked startled when he looked up to see them. Elle tried to smile at him, but she could only hear her mother sobbing. Ryan was still kneeling on the carpet, his eyes remaining on the egg in its separated pieces. Her father squatted in front of them, placing a hand on Ryan's shoulder. He stared at the floor. Your mother wants to be alone, he said. Her mother still sobbed in the hotel room.
I'm going to be back, and then we're going to watch a show. Sound good? This jolted Ryan out of his stupor. Why does Mama want to be alone? Elle watched her father's face flush. His nose flared in frustration. He said, She's just very tired. She's going to bed now. She glanced at the hotel room door, and she imagined her mother curled on the bed pretending to sleep. Her mother, she imagined, would wake up in the middle of the night and begin folding and packing their clothes for the long trip home. She would gather all the complimentary hygiene products and stuff them in their luggage, and then she would clean the bathroom, folding the dirty towels, wiping down the countertop, replacing the toilet paper. But the sun's not down yet. I want to watch a show with Mama, too, Ryan said. Ryan, stop it. Just stop it, her father said. She is too tired today. Elle, watch your brother for me. I'll be back. Her father stood up and stalked down the hallway, disappearing down the stairwell. No one was in the hallway except for Elle and Ryan again. From behind the hotel room door, Elle could still hear her mother sob. She wanted her to stop now. Ryan whimpered, his fingers touching his eyes. He hiccuped. I'm sorry, it's my fault. She turned and saw Ryan bent over, picking the pieces up from the floor. He placed them in front of Elle, stacking them into a wall between them. It's all my fault, he said again. She should have told him it wasn't his fault. It wasn't just any one person's fault. Not hers, not her brother's, not her father's. But she didn't say a word. She let him build the wall instead. While she is not writing and playing platform games, Samantha teaches at a high school for adults in Indianapolis. She teaches them humanities, which includes English literature, English composition, and world history, so she has a lot of variety in her classrooms. It is a career that Samantha finds just as fulfilling as writing short stories and essays, and one that she finds a lot of material from. Much of her writing, however, dwells on the complexity of family, which will be predominant in the story that she has submitted, and the weight that obligation to others has on an individual. Samantha and I are happy to say that she has one publication under her belt with at tiny underscore text on Twitter. Her tweet memoir will go live soon. As for her background, she's originally from Florida. Samantha's undergraduate alma mater is the University of Central Florida, where she studied English, creative writing. She continued her studies at Indiana University, Purdue University's English graduate program in Indianapolis. So I kind of think that she, you know, she mentioned in her bio that the story deals with family complexity. And like I said before, um, as sad as the story is, it makes it relatable to a lot of people. Um, And I can't help but thinking that, like in this situation and probably in many others, it would all not be solved, but it, it would really help if there was more communication between the parties involved. Like if the parents could explain to the kids what was going on. Instead of their father lying to Elle that the mother was okay when she clearly wasn't, you know, if Elle could communicate with Ryan and figure out why he was acting the way he was, um, if she let, if Elle let Ryan see that their mother wasn't okay um, and that it wasn't his fault um, after the whole car alarm thing, I don't know. I don't know if that would solve anything, but it, things might be better. Um, I think the lack of... Uh, I think it's hard... In a situation like this, I mean, think about how old these kids are, Jim. Like, yeah. he's seven. She's in fifth grade, so she's only, what, 11, maybe mm-hmm. at the most? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, for her to have this much clarity about the situation 
at, at that age is like remarkable and to trying to explain to a seven-year-old about mental health is like it's like trying to explain it to like a, a paper towel roll like it just like doesn't translate you know yeah I think it's especially heartbreaking to see a young kid have to like grow up so fast kind of quote unquote mm-hmm. like you know she had to you know she had to kind of take care of her 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 brother like picking him up and like I don't know like it's that's you just wish you you always want to see kids like being able to enjoy being 11 or like being seven or being whatever right and when you see them having to like take care of younger siblings or like you know being be like a second mom figure because mom is x y or z like it's it's I think that maybe that's what hits me hard about this is that like you can't this these l can't be because she can't even have a goddamn puzzle for god's sakes like you know without that's like the all the the only thing the poor girl wanted was to like enjoy this puzzle and it just like goes to shit and like that's just so heartbreaking to me because she's trying to be a kid and she just can't even do that yeah there's a lot of um i think kind of i don't know if it's over because i might be reading into it too much but i think there's a lot of symbolism in like the things that were chosen so um last week we talked about how you know sometimes people have to learn to play play the game so to speak so mm-hmm. you know certain people have a set of rules that you know you kind of need to follow to interact with them and mm-hmm. l enumerated all all the rules that she i love that part yeah that, that was... was a really interesting like way to like because when you're little you break things down like that like that's right. how you think it's, yeah, and i love the rules and like the game and the mom copied them like that was such a great detail yeah and like it just shows how self-aware Elle is about, you know, the state of things and how how to work under the rules. But you see at the very beginning that she forgets she's still forgetting the rules. And, you know, she talks about that later, like you said, making the cards up to, um, you know, because they keep forgetting the rules. But um, when she chooses the puzzle, I think that she chooses the puzzle um, because... You know, she wants to get better at putting broken things back together, which is a comp for her family. And especially because she's seen other kids do it. She mentions that she saw another kid with this exact same puzzle and he, you know, could do it with his eyes closed. I think that's like a comp for, you know, that kid has a good family life and he knows how to deal with his family if if he has to deal with them at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in her choosing the puzzle also, uh, it's like the second the second line there was a centerpiece also made of wood that held the rest of the pieces in place and i think that like what she's talking about there is her father um because i think her father plays a really central role in holding the whole family together um i I agree i want more of her father yeah i i want yeah yeah i agree i i I want like because he he wasn't he almost like in my mind, like I couldn't picture him all the way because there just wasn't enough of. Like I could picture her mother completely, mm-hmm. you know, but I couldn't picture the dad. And and if there was one one critique I would have of the story was more because he is like you, I agree, he's a central figure. I think he is that central pole that's holding them all together. And when he leaves before at the end of the story, when he walks out of the hotel room and like says he's going to be back, like I like have a really bad feeling that he doesn't come back. That's. That just gave me goosebumps, actually, because I hadn't really thought of that. Yeah, but... like, he left with a bag, and I, that's what I thought the whole time. Is 
He's like, I'll be right back and we'll watch a show. And he walks down the stairs. And if I'm not wrong, there's no mention of him coming back, right? I mean, yeah, the story pretty much ends right there. He says he's going to come yeah. back to watch watch a show with the kids, I think. Yep. Um, and then... Yeah, no, that... Yeah, and then the, just, and the little kid just says he's, it's all his fault. Right. Not like... That was... Yeah, it's, that... It's sad because then he realizes that Ryan, the little boy, like he realizes that like he, he becomes a little bit self-aware in that moment he kind of like sees that he played a role right in maybe. this whole thing and like that's just like it's just kind of heartbreaking to, to yeah to see a little boy make that realization yeah maybe he's becoming self-aware of the rules like Elle did herself and he just needed to kind of learn it you yeah, know well, from she his does, own she experience says that too at the end yeah the, yeah but um but I didn't I didn't read the story as the father not coming back and that would make it way more sad like I kind of just assumed that he was because he knows. And you, maybe he do, I don't know. Right, I, I yeah. don't necessarily agree with myself. But we don't know. <laughs> I disagree that's, with myself. That's the point. Um, is we don't know. Right. We don't know. And like it's a pop. But I think it's a possibility. I think. But I also think like he like. And well, there, no, there was one part that made me think this. Hang on. Oh, this um, the hotel room door swung open, slammed. Elle's father leaned against the door, his bag slung over his shoulder, his face buried in his hand. He looked startled when he looked up to see them. Um, the his face buried in his hand. He looked startled. So, we, like when he looked up and he and he saw his kids, he was like, "Fuck! I remember that I have children. <laughs> like I I want to be out. I feel like he so badly wants to be out of his marriage that, but he like I mean, in not in not in the negative way that the word trapped means, but like the definition of it. But like he is essentially trapped there by his children because he loves them." But he, this, like, this marriage is, is, like, it's hurting him. It's killing him. Right. To, like, to deal with their mother. And I just want to, I want to know what, I mean, it's not really necessary. And I like the, that we don't know, but I just want to know what's, what the, what's wrong with the mom. Yeah. I, I thought about that a lot because, you know, it could just be, and I, I don't want to, like, not speak out of turn, but, like, say the wrong thing. I don't know if it's. Like, presume it. Yeah. I, I don't want to say that she, could be having trouble like adjusting to the culture like she's from the philippines and sound like she had a really hard life and maybe she's Mm -hmm. just having trouble adjusting to a different lifestyle um or if she just has like a so to speak generic or just you know she just has some issues it seems a little little ocd to me yeah i so i don't know if this is a great segue but i as I was thinking of this story and, you know, I was reading it again on my way home from work and I just got to thinking, not that I had heard it before, but I think that there's a pretty close comp that I had read this year and it was The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow. Have you read that? Yes. Is it read by Juno Diaz? Yes. Yes. I, re- I haven't read the whole thing, but I read part of it, but that was just a long time ago. Right. So I, you know, I'm sure that I didn't even, I didn't get everything out of it that was in there, but... It just seemed to me kind of similar. You had, you know, one generation and I don't know if I don't think the father figure is present in that story, but you have, you know, at least the mother who comes from a different culture. And then you have kids who are brought up in like in our culture, in in another different culture. And there's some clashes there. Mm -hmm. And like the older sister is really confident, takes some abuse from the mother, but kind of knows how to deal with things more or less. While the younger brother is kind of a familial outcast, that's Oscar, 
And Ryan isn't quite at that level, but you can see him maybe one day getting there if things continue on this way. And it's really the mother that I like that I think the comparison speaks to me uh-huh. for because I can't I couldn't really figure her out in that book either. Um, I like I said I don't know if they're just like struggling in the new culture that they're in, or if they're trying to like despite their change in status, you like they want to bring their kids up in the same way that they were brought up. They want to, you know, they think that their value set is is important to them, so they want to make sure that their kids get that same value set even though their circumstances are different. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but... Hmm. Yeah, I think that does. I I think... Um, I think it does touch on that, like, kind of um, idea of, you know, coming like coming to America and, you know, raising children in with Amer- American values, quote-unquote, that right. are different from what you're used to it definitely puts a it's like um it's kind of like you know a lot how a lot of parents um i was listening to this podcast the other day uh it's called the sporkful if anyone would like to listen to it um uh and it's they had they just did a four-part series about um uh cooking your family's food and like how that that um attributes to who you are and there was one of the four-part series about people who adopted children that aren't the same race as them. So there was a, a mother who adopted, she was a white, a white woman who adopted a Nigerian son. Um, oh my God. He's easy open. My God, my bad. Sorry. I, he was, there was another Nigerian child anyway. And she like was talking a lot about like how hard, like how intricate it is to raise a child that is not the same race as you and, and or just from a different country because the, the the value subset is so different whether it be like in food or it be like in like personal life like it's um it's hard and I think that's kind of like what Elle's going through is that like she goes to school and she sees all these kids who have these brand new toys and they come back with their you know I know she didn't want to you know drop drop theme park names but disney world shirts because they're in kissimmee florida <laughs> yeah um so they come back with all these these shirts and all these things and she realizes that that's how her life is supposed to be but her mother that, that's not that doesn't make sense to her mother and that's not part of her mother's values upset right and but it l you know is is trying to, to weigh those lines and i think that it's a hard thing and it's hard for i find it difficult for myself to put myself in that shoe in those shoes because that I don't necessarily have that experience really at all because right, we're not parents. I mean, we're not parents. Number one, thank God. Number two, you know, I was born here. Like I don't have a pretty standard American, you know, lifestyle and value system. So, you know, I don't really, I've never kind of felt what it's like to go to school with, and I hear this all the time. Like, like I've never had that experience, but I can't, I can't imagine what it's like for something that you've known your whole life to be to be normal and fine to then to come to find out that it's not normal quote unquote and other kids are going to make fun of you for it and mm-hmm. that there must be like a a, a world altering conclusion to come to yeah and, and like, realization to make if and obviously we don't know the background but you know if Elle's mother was much older when she came to America you know, she could still be dealing with that because I think it's easier for kids to adapt because they don't know as much. But mm-hmm. yeah, for adults who have to do it, it's it's probably way harder. 
Absolutely. No, definitely. It's like learning a new language. I mean, when you're a kid, you can pick it up like that. Mm-hmm. And, but when you're an adult, you can't. And it's like, it's difficult. Yeah. But um, I like to, I was thinking about this also, um, the kind of genre of, you know, feminine hysteria kind of, um, I studied that a good amount in, in, under, or in undergrad and in my graduate courses and mm-hmm. how women, and not to say like Samantha's doing this, but it kind of is a common trope of of a female with children especially um to kind of it was in like the mid 1800s um Jane Eyre um all that mad woman the attic that kind of stuff like you know the woman has these you know this cycle and this this internal um system that she's dealing with and like it since it makes her weak like it makes her weak it makes her you know inferior it makes her crazy then you know the hysteria thing comes at it and I, I think it's, I'm interested, I wish I could talk to Samantha about this, I feel like she definitely, um, thought about it in that way, or maybe she didn't, and, and we could just, like, like, chat it out, but I kind of get that vibe from it, and it's a very, you know, like, um, you remember The Awakening, did you read that? No, I didn't read that one. Kate Chopin? Yeah, no, it it reminds me a lot of that, like, she has children in that book, she has two children. And she's like completely dis like disenchanted with her life. Like doesn't want to doesn't want to have her children. And the weird dynamic is that she loves her children so much, but she doesn't want anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's such a and it, and she's that's like a lot of what she struggles with throughout the novel is that um, she loves them so much, but she doesn't know how to to be their mother. And but she wants to, and it's like a battle back and forth with herself. And I think that's, I, I want to play devil's advocate for the mom because I feel like in the story, because I feel like if you read it the first time, you're like, oh, this mom, she's horrible, this and that, like, can't she get a grip? It's like, but I mean, being a mother, I mean, I can't imagine, but like, it sounds like it's the hardest job on earth, like right. to try and like, you know, love your children all you can, but like have the patience and have the, you know, the mental capacity to deal and like when they, they're crying and this and that. And, you know, some mothers just aren't cut out for and that's that's okay and like i feel like there's a huge stigma about mothers that you know aren't maybe cut out to be mothers but they are and and, you know trying to deal with that is like is is a tremendous you know issue for them you know yeah you hear about postpartum depression sometimes very rarely and then but you don't hear about it's it's usually oh you had postpartum depression yeah they just they met they gave me much meds and i'm fine now right and it's never a conversation about like what it actually happens and how long it actually lasts and like exactly because like that's usually associated with like newborns like very new mothers very new babies but mm-hmm. you don't know how long that can last and there is an indication in the story that like the mother is getting help for whatever is bothering her but um just you know hasn't worked out yet she hasn't she hasn't figured it out yet so mm-hmm. yeah yeah i know this i mean i i wish there was a happier ending to the story to be frank with you but yeah. Does that appear so? We're going to have some more sad stories coming up next month, too. Um, oh, but oh, these people. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, we ran the story because it was good and it was relatable. I mean, everybody has sad events in their life that they can relate to and the stories that oh, are coming yeah, up. No, I'm not, not seeing any of our stories oh, because no. they're sad. They yeah. just, just make me, I don't like thinking, thinking sad thoughts. But, you know, yeah, Samantha does a lot of good things in, in this story, and I think she pays a lot of close attention to her character interactions and, and this, like you said, the symbols of things. I mean, an egg, 
mm-hmm. you know, yep. the female, you know, egg, that whole thing, the egg shatter. It's just, she did a good job. Yeah, um, I, I want to throw in the car alarm symbolic of the mother's cries for help. Uh, yes, yes. Oh, it was a good, it was a good story. Yeah. Nice I, job, Samantha. Lots of, it. like you said, lots of really very well thought out details. And you could mm-hmm. just tell that so much work and attention went into the story. And it really, you know, you could just tell it was very, very mm-hmm. well written. Very good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No. Great writing takes great amounts of effort and time. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that was all um, put in by Samantha. Yeah. So, um, like we said, we have some sad stories coming up next month, but next week we have our one-year anniversary episode. Everybody should tune in for that. Yeah, absolutely. Someone, uh, you know what I want? I'm, I'm Listeners, I'm asking this from you. I want a scary Halloween story. We have Give, we have one. You have one? I want another one. We want some more. I want the entire month of October to be scary Halloween stories. Yeah. And not cheesy, scary like Jason, like, no, I don't want that shit. <laughs> Something that really makes me scared. Like, channel your your inner Stephen King. Make me scared. I'm challenging you all. Do it. Throw in the gauntlet. Somebody yeah, better I threw, do it. I threw, I threw down the scariest gauntlet. Mm-hmm. You know who's waiting at the bottom? It. Oh, That's that movie's waiting. coming out soon. I know. Pumped. It looks creepy AF. Yeah, it really does. So, just want to say thanks to Samantha Melvin for submitting your story, Reassembly Required. It was a great story. Thanks to her for reading it as well. Um, I want to thank Colleen again for hosting. I want to thank Chloe for uh, editing. Uh, yes, I want to, Chloe. I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, and tune in next week for our one-year anniversary episode. All, All right. right. Well, have well, a happy this... have a happy birthday on Thursday, thank Colleen. Thank you, my love. Hope I everybody. Will. I hope all our listeners send you birthday wishes. I hope they do too. That'd be awesome. Call, I feel so much. I feel call, so much love. Call at secondhandpodcast.com, people. Just one single <laughs> solitary person emails me happy birthday. I that will just make my whole life. Or, I'll be so pleased. Or comment on the Facebook post, or yeah, you know, or just leave whatever. Us, leave us a review that just says, "Hey, happy birthday, Colleen." Or you know what I really would love if someone gave us five stars on iTunes. Exactly for my birthday. Yeah, that's something I would love. All right, so we got scary stories. Colleen yes. wants scary stories, and she wants a birthday wish. So let's do it. Yeah, people, I'm I don't ask for much in my life, and that's what I'm asking for. All right. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, and all I want for Halloween is a scary story. Perfect. Let's get Woo. it. All right. <laughs> all see right. everybody next Bye, week. Bye, everyone. When she relocated to Indiana with her husband, she continued her studies at Indiana. V- she continued. She continued her studies at Indiana. V- Ugh. Usually you don't get to hear this part. I let you I let you in on this one. <laughs> Sorry. Keep going. She continued her Oh, st- <laughs> oh I thought you muted me so I, I was, could talk. I'll Damn do it. it. No, I'll do it this time. It's it's almost done, I promise. <laughs>